In 2016, Hollywood invited us to choose between Team Iron Man and Team Cap. The Marvel Cinematic Universe gave us the movie Avengers Civil War, and it pitted two superheroes and their respective friends who wanted to save the Earth from their greatest enemies. One superhero was Iron Man, an emotionally unstable genius who surprisingly chose the path of oversight by a multinational government agency. While the ever-faithful soldier, Captain America, likewise surprisingly, chose the path of resistance. Team Cap stood against tyranny because he believed in individual freedom. I chose Team Cap. I like the fact that he stands for responsibility as well as freedom. I like the fact that he started out as an underdog. I like that he stands up for an idealized America and fights against anything that takes its freedoms away. I love that he's strong and practically can't die, but he also carries a really cool shield. You got to love that. Now, I admit, I have probably thought about this question far too much, but if I could have one superpower, if I could have one superpower, it would be that I could touch someone and heal them. As the team is going into the building, I'd be the last one, but any of my team that got shot, I could save them, right? Humans love superheroes for a number of reasons besides just the fantasy escape motive. We all feel deeply the need that we have of someone who is greater than us, who is superior to us in both motive and ability. We all feel deeply the need of a Savior who is outside of us, but also beside us. We feel deeply that need to fight and win all of the super battles that we face on a daily basis. We all feel deeply, even if we won't admit it, the need for Jesus. One problem with the superhero genre is that those who get sucked into it begin to think in, about life in terms of needing superpowers. And we forget that discipline and hard work and trusting the promises of God for us in Christ is all that we need. His daily grace is all that we need in this real world. And His grace is far better than any superpower. This may be no truer than in the typical Christian thinking about singleness. Morning, I want to correct this notion that you need a superpower in order to be single. And I want to remind all of us there's grace for that. Grace is far better than any superpower because for those who trust God's grace, God works in us, God works through us, and God works for us in ways usually we can't see. But he does it especially for our ultimate joy, for his glory, and for the growth of his kingdom. And my friends, that's better than stopping bad guys. 
Now, three weeks ago, I began a two-week series that I called One Plus One Equals One. Pastor Benji was on vacation, and I wanted to introduce to the church the program that we are kicking off. By the way, so far so good, 35 couples among you signed up for the ministry, and we are really excited to get classes going starting in August. We will get to you on more information soon. But speaking on marriage on Sunday morning is a little problematic for no less of a reason than there are many who are here who aren't married. And more than one of you told me that at first, at the beginning of the sermons, you felt excluded. But among other things, while preaching, I said both weeks that everyone is invited. Everyone is welcome. Singles, widows, LGBTQ individuals, and couples are welcome and have reason to listen, even on sermons on marriage. Why? Because we are all equally in need of the cross. We all stand equal in our need for Jesus. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. This is where we find Jesus. So welcome. You're invited. Join us. I lamented the second week that I preached that I only had two weeks. And I said, if I had only had more time, I would have also included a sermon on singleness. Pastor Benji called me earlier this week and told me that he had a family emergency in Oklahoma, and he asked me if I would be willing to preach. And I said, of course, praise Jesus. And I felt immediately compelled to preach on singleness. So here we go. And, oh, by the way, married people, you're all invited and welcome to listen as well because, as you know, it is still God's Word. So we are here this morning to support the biblical understanding of singleness. But more fundamentally, more down deep into our bones, we are here to emphasize a biblical understanding of humanity. Because who we are as people is so much more than worried whether we're single or married. We are here not to fight. We are here to promote what God teaches us about the reality in which we really live. Now the truth is that what God teaches in His Word is offensive. No matter who you are or where you've been, you will find parts of God's Word that runs counter against your most cherished wishes. Now come on, let's be honest. This this is exactly as we should expect. Why? Because on our best days, we are self-centered. And we don't like the idea of someone standing above us telling us what we need to do and think. So once again, welcome. Welcome. Glad you're here in front of God's Word. But allow me to begin my sermon by quoting a man who is a same-sex attracted, single, celibate pastor who has his theology correct. His name is Sam Albury. He says this, Paul speaks of being single as a gift 
from God in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7. To be understood alongside the gift of being married. Singleness is not just the absence of marriage, but is a good and blessed thing in and of itself. Each state, married and single, has its own ups and downs, opportunities and challenges, griefs and joys. Now you'll remember three weeks ago, I said singleness is a gift from the Lord. Singleness is an expression of fully realized humanity. No godly, celibate, single person is missing anything in terms of what it means to be human. Jesus was single, and he experienced perfect humanity. You can too when you trust God's promises for you in Christ, whether you're single or married. And whether you're single or married, you will find there's grace for that. So let's get started. The first problem we need to address when we're speaking about singleness, or marriage for that matter, is that this, in this culture, both marriage and singleness boils down to physical relations. In some minds, it is the physical to the exclusion of anything and everything else that makes up marriage and singleness. You know, now that I say that, that's just absurd. And every adult in here knows that. And this is a symptom of our over-sexualized culture. And if you go out there into the world, you will find that many around us love the idea of singleness. It represents free and unhindered sexual relationships as an absolute good. Many in the church have adopted this view as well. And they find in dismay the bitter fruit of seed sown too widely. On the other hand, many in the church hate singleness. They hate singleness because they mistakenly believe that they need to have a mate in order to be whole. Many in the church, to our shame, many in the church have found that they are not as accepted as well in the church unless they have a spouse. Shame on us for allowing singles to have that perception. Church, you and I must do better than this. No one is called to be a lone ranger. Married couples, we must work harder to include singles in our thoughts and our families. You don't have to have superpowers like Captain America in order to lead a godly single life. Married couples, Begin today. Invite a single with you out to lunch. You will be blessed. And there's grace for that. There's grace for that. And God's power, God's grace is greater than any superhero and is yours for the asking. So ask. And as you ask for His grace, for His power, begin to live like He's already given it to you. 
and be a blessing to those who are around. Now it is true from a biblical perspective that singleness does mean that you must be celibate. What is not true but commonly misbelieved is that celibacy means no intimacy. In fact, I'm going to tell you all a secret right now. Just because you have sex does not mean you're intimate. <gasps> I know that's a surprise to everyone here because it's all over the internet and we all know that if it's on the internet, it's both personal and intimate, right? Relationships are far more than physical intimacy. Far more. And in 21 years in the pastoral counseling office, I have met many married couples who have no intimacy. It is another sign of the absurdity of the view of sex in our culture that makes this statement so out of touch with the world around us, but so in touch with what we know in our hearts. Intimacy. Friendship is born of time and shared experience. And in the one flesh marriage, it must include physical intimacy. Why? Because contrary to popular, stubbornly ignorant opinion, the Bible is marvelously pro-sex. God created it for our enjoyment. And when kept in a one flesh relationship of love and respect it is a glorious thing trust me i suggest you try it within such a relationship and you will find that you will do whatever it takes to stay in that relationship till death do you part there you go but intimacy must also be developed through much more than just physical Relationships, church, singles, marrieds. We must be more intentional about striving for intimacy with our near ones on many levels. If for no other reason than the fact that your spouse cannot give you all that you need relationally and because your single friend has time and love you need. And there's grace for that. So I want to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. What we find in 1 Corinthians 7 is one unified idea that is given through several contexts. That unified idea is this. Glorify God with your body. If you read 1 Corinthians 7, you will find that Paul has one point to make. Glorify God with your body. And if you carefully read 1 Corinthians 7 with this big idea in mind, the next thing that you will find is that Paul presumes obedience to several known commands. 
Glorify God with your body because sex is to be found within biblical marriage. Glorify God with your body because celibacy is to be found everywhere outside of biblical marriage. Glorify God with your body because God hates divorce. Glorify God with your body because we must live for God no matter what our circumstances. And glorify God with your body because you and I must seek first the kingdom of God wherever and whenever you are. Glorify God with your body because there's grace for that. Here's how Paul sums up 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He says in verse 39 and 40, he says, A wife or husband is bound to her husband or wife as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Our culture is not correct. Marriage or singleness is neither all bad nor all good. The goodness or badness of your marriage or your singleness is dependent upon how you are trusting the promises of God for you in Christ. How it is you are depending upon the grace of God. Are you looking to God for power to fight the temptations around you, singled person? Are you depending upon God's power to fight the temptations around you, married person? Our culture is not right. Singles, there is no perfect marriage. Just ask my wife. Marrieds, singleness is not all it's cracked up to be. No matter how badly you want out of your situation, your Lord knows what you need better than you do. And, believe it or not, your Lord loves you more than you do. And that's why there is grace for that. Now, two and three weeks ago, I made a great deal about the image of God. We talked a lot about it. And you'll remember that I went through quickly in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and I said that there's four aspects that Moses emphasizes about the image of God in man. And I said that we, the image of God in man, in us, image of God in us, is that we are made for community. We are made with choice. We are made able to create. And we were made to wear a crown. We God made us stewards of the creation that He has loaned to us. And if you remember, I also emphasized that the couple who pursues a biblical one flesh marriage also images forth God in a particular way. The one flesh couple displays uniquely the love God has for the other persons of the Trinity. And in Ephesians 5, we saw that it particularly images forth the love that God has for His people. Now perhaps, what I'm about to say is my opinion. 
perhaps, hopefully it's my informed opinion, perhaps the single person displays the choice aspect of the image of God better than does the married couple. Here's my thoughts. God's choices are completely unrestrained. And God's choices are completely given over to His glory. Now, if you're single and you want a dune buggy and a Corvette, you are much more likely to have the cash to do it than if you're saving up for three college tuitions. Or actively paying for two and saving up for another one in just a couple of years. Now, that's not completely unrestrained as a single, but noticeably less restrained than the marriage couple. In my own case, I worked in Alaska for a summer and I worked in Germany for a year before I got married because I knew that when I was 47 years old, it wasn't going to be easy to just pick up and go to Germany or Alaska. And if you are single, it is, you can more easily pick up and move to Rwanda to work on uh, dams and electrical systems and you're much more likely to move to China to teach English. It's not quite so easy to do when you're married. My friends, there are great rights. There are great responsibilities both for singles and for married couples. Christian, you must remember what was sung by Lecrae. Your money, your singleness, marriage status, your time, they were loaned to you to show the world that Christ is divine. Show your near ones that Christ is divine, not your marriage. Show those who are near you that Christ is divine, not your singleness. Show that Christ is worth glorifying no matter what the circumstances are that you live in. Which brings us exactly to Matthew 19, where Jesus gives us his opinion on this matter. Far more important than mine. In this chapter, Jesus had just given, he just told his disciples that there is essentially no biblical grounds for divorce. Now, hold on, some of you are already mad at me. I do not intend to get into the two or three commonly cited grounds for biblical divorce. Not my intention. This morning, But I will say that divorce is like amputating your legs. You never want to do it. But sometimes the gangrene is so bad that you have to. Not my point. To this kind of double amputation teaching of Jesus, the disciples respond. Verse 10. The disciples said to Jesus... If such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. Jesus replied, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let one who is able to receive this Receive it. Now, surprisingly, evidently the disciples understood what Jesus was saying at that moment. Evidently, the disciples believed correctly Jesus to be serious about the permanency of marriage. 
Man, they responded, it's better not to be married. If divorce is like chopping off your legs, I don't want to get married. I want you to note carefully something here. Jesus did not correct them. In fact, if anything, Jesus underscored their understanding of exactly what he was saying. And he reminded them. There's grace for that. God meets you where you are. Are you single and hate it? God meets you where you are. Are you married and hate it? God meets you where you are. Are you married and you like it? God meets you where you are. Are you single and doing just fine? There's grace for that too. Now we need to hear one absolutely crucial truth from Matthew 19. And that is this. Marriage is not a deficiency. Singleness is not a lack of marriage. It's not the way to think about it. Singleness is a gift from God. Singleness is a gift from God to the individual. And singleness is a gift of God to the church. In fact, for that matter... Singleness is a gift of God to the world. Allow me to introduce a book that I read this week by Sam Albury. Actually, I only got about halfway through it. I intended to get through it before this morning. It's called Seven Myths About Singleness. Allow me to paraphrase some of his points. Singleness, like marriage, has its benefits and its struggles. Singleness, like marriage, has its rights and responsibilities. My friends, don't believe the grass is always greener lie. Trust the God who loves you and knows what you need, both now and for always. Singleness, like marriage, is a gift of God. You don't have to be Captain America with superpowers to survive singleness. Why? Because you can thrive. When you are constantly going to God and he meets you there as he promises he will. God's grace is better than any superpowers and there is grace for that. Singleness like marriage is something that the local church must steward well. Married friends, this falls largely on you and me. Are you loving singles around you? Are you including singles into your family? Do you silently snub singles? Married couples, ask yourself, are you loving the single people around you? Singleness, like marriage, is a battlefield that the church must defend. So you say, I'm against LGBT marriage. Fine. Are you for marriage? Do you live to promote godly one flesh marriage? Are you pro 
single? Are you sufficiently for those who struggle because they're single? Are you sufficiently for those who struggle because they're married and they're unhappy about it? Are you one of those who gets on Facebook and just wants to yell instead of love? Love is messy. Love takes time. Love takes money. And it's frustrating and dirty, but it's exactly what Jesus did for us. Married couples, does anyone near you struggling know that you are for them? Or do they believe that you're against them because you've given them no reason to think otherwise? Married people, single people, there's grace for that. And let's be honest, there's all kinds of struggles within singleness that need grace. Here is where the cross meets the road of life. Your struggles as a single person. Here is where the cross meets The struggles in your daily life. Here is where we need Jesus. Now, according to Scripture, you are a sinner. What does that mean? It means you have valued all kinds of things more than you have valued the one who is supremely valuable, and that is God Himself. You have turned away from God in anger. You have turned away from God and just stamped your foot because you didn't get what you wanted. How do I know? Because all of us have. You, like me, have turned away to something you wanted to make your source of life. You believe this is so wonderful. This source of encouragement or strength or joy. And in spite of the fact that over and over and over again, whatever it is that you're trusting, it has failed you. The promises of the stuff you want. The promises of the circumstances that you are dying to have. The promises of the relationship that if only I could have this relationship. It's all lies. They are empty. They are void of hope. They are deceitful desires that you and I keep going back to like a dog to its vomit. If you are not also trusting in the promises of God for you in Christ, then all of these things will be empty. That is what it means to be a sinner. That is what it means to need the cross. So what is the cross? The cross of Jesus is where we find God the Father who poured out all the bad That is the natural result of these choices onto Jesus so that we would not bear them ourselves. God hates everything that would separate Him from His people. And so He pours out His wrath, His steady opposition to sin on Jesus so that you and I would not have to bear that ourselves. And because God did that, now we find God is favorable to us. Now we have a God who is longing to give us all of these promises that He has given to us. 
all the grace that we need to be single or to be married. Now, I'm always saying, trust the promises of God. Trust the promises of God. Trust the promises of God for you in Christ. Okay then, Pastor Greg, we get it. What promises are we talking about? Well, let me give you four of my very favorite. Let's talk about fighting sexual temptation. 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4. God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, including your singleness. Including your struggles in your marriage. God has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Through going to His Word and knowing Him better so that we will therefore love Him and trust Him more. Through this knowledge, through His glory that we learn there, He has granted to us precious and very great promises so that through these precious and very great promises you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Elsewhere that sinful desire is called deceitful desires. Because you think just this one more encounter will give you what you need. But you know that's not true. How about fighting the temptation to loneliness? Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Loneliness is real. Loneliness is deadly. Married couples, what are you doing to help fight loneliness in those who are single around you? Singles, who are you calling out upon? Whose godly fellowship are you trying to get a hold of so that God can minister to you through them? How about fighting the temptation of grief for missing out? Romans 8.32 He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously, in other words, abundantly, more than we could thinkly. Is that a word? How will he not graciously give us all things? All things. All things for what? All things so that you can know He is with you and He is for you. Including, sometimes, the gift of not giving you things. How about fighting the temptation to bitterness? This is my favorite I am always with you verse. There are many, and I, I could go through many of them, but this is my favorite. Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love, and he will rejoice over you with singing. Do you have temptations? 
Do you have struggles? There's grace for that. Now, I'm a relatively smart guy. I've been doing this for a while. I've been even sitting in your seat for a while. But let me tell you something. I know for a fact that there's many people in this room who don't believe a word of what I just said. I know for a fact that there's many of you who are sitting in there, if not on the outside, on the inside, doing this. Yeah, you don't impress me, Pastor. I don't believe a word you're saying. You're not fooling me. You're not getting to me with all this stuff. That's fine. I know that I can't do it. It's not my work. My work is to bring God's word to you. My work is to show you these promises. My work is to help you see that if you go to these promises, if you turn your heart to these promises, if you cling to them, if you cling to them and go to them and find them, you will find them true. And what will also happen is you will let go of all the things that have been lying to you and that you have found to be lying to you. And what you'll find is there is grace for that. I don't know your struggle. I don't know what you're going through at this very moment. But there is grace for that. Singles, your singleness does not define you. Your relationship to Jesus defines you. And fight the cultural expectations to make your life about what happens in the bedroom as opposed to what really matters, and that is what happens in your prayer closet. And trust Jesus, because there is grace for that. Lord Almighty, we come to you because there is no one else to whom we can come And we are desperate. We are desperate because this world is so dark and so hard. We need you to meet us here. God, meet us here and bless us so that we will be a blessing. Amen.